Amen. Praise God. Well, good morning to all. Good morning to you. Um, what a beautiful, wonderful worship to invite us into the presence of the Lord this morning. What a glorious God we serve. Amen. You know, I was driving up here and I was just thinking about uh, every time I drove here, I've been coming to Woodbine now for several years. And uh, and on Monday nights, oftentimes we gather with several international pastors at the chapel and we've been conducting our studies and, and, uh, with, the, and we have a residency of about a two year training for international pastors that live in Middle Tennessee who has either a church to pastor or a ministry to lead. And we gather and we worship and we gather and we learn and we grow. And then we walk the journey together all throughout the week. And all through the week, we begin to kind of infuse hope and encouragement in each other to continue to go on and respond to the call of God and reach the people of God for His glory. So Woodbine has been a part of uh, our lives and our ministry for years now here in Middle Tennessee. But I never, it just, I ne- it never, I never stop looking around. When I'm driving around, I watch the houses just rise one at a time all around Woodbine. This morning, I came into the sanctuary, and if I fall down, just kind of come up and lift me up, would you? I'm just, uh, this morning I came in and, and I, I, I drove around and I was just looking and watching these beautiful houses and I, and my imagination always run. It's just like, okay, one day, maybe I'll knock on that door or maybe one day a family will move up here. Then I got into the building and I just walked around. I was talking to Donna earlier. I walked around and I just started looking at the pieces of land that we have in here as a church system, as a wonderful church in here. And I was thinking, what a beautiful gift from the Lord that we have in this place that God has given us. And what a beautiful future that this could be for the future of the church at Woodbine and Brentwood together and for the future of these families and the babies and the children. Then I got right into the sanctuary and started looking around and looked at the pews, looked at the future of what could this hold? How many, Daryl now we're talking, how many people can fit here? And, and it was not just for the sake of numbers as much as it is one day. Day, there'll be a bunch of souls that will be in here. Is it okay to think of that? Absolutely. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20. You know, Nehemiah was sent back to his homeland to see the future potential of where his people will be and also what could happen if God will begin to kind of infuse the people of God with vision to see what God can do with them and through them. And so Nehemiah gets there and he just kind of walks around the city and he looks around and he does his thing. And because he's, he's a man on a call, he's a man on a mission. So he looks around and then he nails down Nehemiah chapter two and verse 20 says, let us arise and build. But then he makes another statement just right before that, that says the God of heaven will help us. Amen? So whatever we do in the next few months together, as we trust the Lord for his season for the church at Woodbine, I just want you to know that the God of heaven will help us. Amen? The God of heaven will help us. The God of heaven will be with us. 
he will be with us. Would you stand with me in honor of the word of the living God? I know you've been sitting for a long time, so I'm just going to get you to stand. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to read together Acts chapter 2 and verses 40 through 47. It's our scripture for the moment, for the hour. And we're going to talk about under the topic, Behold, I do a new thing, Isaiah 43. Behold, I do a new thing. So as we gaze at the scripture, again, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and following, Peter is preaching. You know, Peter is preparing for, for, for Jerusalem to receive a new message, to receive a new vision from God, to see that God has initiated something new. Uh, you know, for the city and for the region where he was. And God is about to bring 3,000 people through the, through the system of heaven and 3,000 people get saved and they did. And, and now the first fruit of the church have become the souls and the families of these people who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, not only the 3,000, but those that are connected to them who will eventually hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have a church. Now we have a system that God has put in place. See that God of heaven will help us. He will structure what he wants to structure. And so God is bringing it all together. And as they begin to learn to meet the needs, God began to give them steps that will become the foundation for the future. See, it's all God-born, and it's all God-infused, and it's God-encouraged, and God-planned. So in verse 40 and following, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 and following, the Bible says, and with many other words, with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized that that day, 3000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Isn't that awesome? 3,000 people get saved, and then every day God said, I'm here. Every day God said, I'm adding. Every day God said, I am blessing. Wouldn't that be an awesome day that every day God continues to add to his church, not just the church at Woodbine, but the church in Middle Tennessee, the church at large all over the earth. And guess what? God is doing it. God is doing it. West St. Tamara just came back from Turkey. You'll hear from them later. They are seeing the work of the Lord in Turkey, in many nations, in many places. Our focus today is on our Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father, We thank you for bringing us to this moment. Lord, we rejoice in this moment. We are glad that you brought us to this moment. We are glad that you've called us to this moment. Behold, I do a new thing. And when I do it, you said, you will see it, you will know it, and you will know that it is I who have given commission to it. So, Lord, would you do a new thing, not just at the church at Woodbine, but in us, Would you do a new thing in my soul, in my spirit? Lord, would you do a new thing that caused me to listen to you carefully, to hear your voice, to walk in the instructions of the everlasting plan of Almighty God, to say yes, and a thousand times yes, 
to what you're choosing to do at the church at Woodbine. But Lord, would you begin where I sit? Would you begin with me? And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Someone said that a true revival begin on a personal level. In other words, if a revival is going to start in a church, a renewal begins in a church, a relaunch, whatever you call it, a replant, it has to start with me in my heart, in my secret place, in my relationship with Almighty God. There's no corporate revival outside of personal revival. Somebody say amen. There's no corporate revival outside of a personal revival. So the church is moving. The church is growing. The church is listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. It has become the lighthouse of God in Jerusalem. And now the church has become the healing house. It has become a hope house. It has become a a help house to a society that has been living in darkness, in religiosity, to a society that is groping to hear the voice of God, and they couldn't hear it through the traditions that they were committing themselves to. But now the church, by the Holy Spirit of God, is receiving new revelation and a new vision. A survey was done of businesses who had succeeded through good time, bad time, challenge, mountain times, valley times, businesses that were able to sustain and to grow. That survey was done, and the outcome of that survey was a question to be answered. Why is it that there are some businesses, some entities, some organizations, and yes, some churches continue to sustain and grow while others could not? It was a simple answer to that question. And the answer was all these entities, including churches that have succeeded and continued to grow, they did one thing right. And what was it? They did the basics well most of the time. They did the basics well most of the times. And the basics became the foundations. Are you listening? The basics became the foundation by which they started, by which they build, and by which they committed to grow. The basics. You do the basics well. And that's what the church did. God gives us in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 and following, the basics For what we need to do and do it well, not only do it well, but grow with it, sustain with it, and continue to move from a season to another. By the way, I just want you to know in just a moment, you can study the Word of God and you can see that these same basics were given to us in the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ between Him and the Father. The Lord is saying to the Father, I've walked this earth with my disciples. And Father, here's what I've done. And He quotes these basics between the Father and the Son. Not only that the apostle Paul comes back in Ephesians chapter 4 and he re-impresses the basics to the church at Ephesus and also to the churches that he was building you will see those basics traveling through the journey of apostolic anointing with the apostle Paul all through his journey everywhere he went encouraged and planted he said these are the foundational elements of why the church may grow through the people in the people and with the people so they do the basics well but did you know where these basics come from? They came from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You'll find these basics in Mark chapter 12 through the great commandment. You'll find these basics in Matthew chapter 28 through the great commission. These basics came from the Lord Jesus himself. We'll look at them in just a minute. Now, there are many marks of what a healthy church ought to look like. 
Many marks, and you can name five and ten and fifteen and on and on. I've chosen to kind of take all these healthy marks of an individual's life, a church's life, a corporate's life, a ministry life, and kind of reduce it to three basic marks that will help us understand our assignment individually and our assignment as the house of God, the church of God here at Woodbine. So let me give you the first one. The first one is... Uh, the first assignment God has given the church is that we are called by the preaching of the message to make disciples. We are called to make disciples. That's our message. We're called to be God's lighthouse. Now, in Cape Hatteras in North Carolina, there is the tallest lighthouse. The tallest lighthouse there in all over the United States. That lighthouse there has about 210 feet uh, height on it. When it was built in 1869, it was 210 feet tall and, and, and high. And it was about a half a mile away from the seacoast. Well, through years of, of, of shore erosions and beach, beach erosions, it begins to kind of, it begins to kind of sink a little bit. And what they have noticed, the Corps of Engineers noticed that there, the foundation is beginning to crumble. There's some cracks in the foundation. They want to sustain it. So in 1999, after 130 years, of existence with a 4,800 tons of weight, the Corps of Engineers decided to move that lighthouse, which was meant to bring people safely to their destinations. Are you with me? Which was used to bring people safely to their destinations. They decided to move it back about a half a mile to sustain it, to sustain it. So they did. After 130 years, they said, we want a new day and a new life and a new purpose for that lighthouse, for that lighthouse. And so they moved it back. They moved it back to sustain its foundation, to sustain its purpose, to sustain its plan. They shifted it back. I'm afraid that the church over and over and over again needs to examine its foundation. Why? Because of the erosion of a society that is religiously confused, socially struggling, and even religiously trying to find its purpose today in a generation that is looking to know who do we believe, what should we believe, and why should we believe what we believe. The church ought to examine its own foundation. Lifeway has done a a study in 2019, not far from today. And they found out that on an average, about 4,500 churches shuts down every year. 4,500 churches will shut down every year. The the good glimmer of hope that we have is about 3,000 churches gets planted every year. We're still in the deficit, though. So for the first time since 2019, we have more churches shutting down than churches being planted. But if I got good news for you, God continues to grow the church. I'm not afraid for the demise of the church. Satan will not win because Jesus promised us that he will build this church. And what? And the gates of, come on, say it with me. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I get an amen to that? Are y'all all right? Are you awake? All right. But I want to give you some good news. You see, even though churches may shut down, there are churches that are saying, I want to be a lighthouse. 
I want to examine my foundation. I want to examine the basics. And I want to be a lighthouse that shines, that brings people into their destination. In order for us to be that, our first assignment must be to do what God called us to do. And that is to make disciples. To make disciples. And here it is. We make disciples by the declaring of the whole counsel of God. By the entire declaration of the whole counsel of God. Now, here it says that they gather together. Thousands are saved and more are being added to the church daily. And they came together to study the apostles' doctrine. Now, this is a reference to Old Testament scriptures put together in the form of doctrines for the New Testament church. But today, you and I, we have the New Testament, the Old Testament. We have Old Testament, New Testament doctrines coming together to give us the whole counsel of God. We make disciples by the declaration of the Word of God. Listen, led by the Holy Spirit of God for the purpose of glorifying the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when we declare the gospel, we're declaring the essence of what the word of God is, which is the doctrines of the word of God, led by the Holy Spirit of God to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, glorify the historicity of his existence and the sovereignty of his plan, who he is, who he is, what he has done, and watch this now, what he continues to do. What he continues to do. We make disciples when we begin to declare the word of the living God. What would the outcome be when you and I take the gospel seriously? What would the outcome be when you and I become involved directly in gospel conversation? What would the outcome be when the church at Woodbine decide that, that one of our major missions in life is to declare the word of God for the purpose of making disciples? We're going to see that in just a moment because the Lord gave us that command. Let me tell you the outcome. The outcome is seen right up here. Number one, we will know that many will receive salvation, the salvation of many. 247, the book of Acts, thousands were added, but here's something else will happen. And this is very important. Many will get saved, but another outcome be that the scripture becomes a priority in a believer's life. And that's in Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, 17. The, the, the apostle Paul is saying the scripture is profitable for many things, and he names them, for instructions, for corrections, and he names them. So when we declare the whole gospel of God, two things, major things will happen. People will come to know Christ. That's how I got saved. That's how you got saved. You were drawn by the Holy Spirit because you heard the story of the Bible to understand who Christ could be in your life, in my life, and what he could do through our our lives because somebody shared with us the whole counsel of the word of God. 1984, October 30, I sat down before my pastor who shared with me the word of God, has been sharing with me the word of God and brought me to John chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 3. And he said, Fadi, God is knocking on the door of your heart. Would you respond to God? And the scripture led by the Holy Spirit drew me his servant to understand what Christ wants in my life and what he wants to do through my life. And I bowed the knee and gave my life to Jesus. Guess what? Your neighbor is looking to hear that kind of a message. Guess what? That the gospel is ready to go all around the church at Woodbine to hear that kind of a message. And what would the outcome be? The salvation of many people like you, like you, like you, like you, like me. The salvation of hundreds of people who will one day recognize that scripture can be the foundation for their lives. Are you with me? I want to tell you that church 
of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is working to perfect his work among us through the declaration of the gospel. The word of God is the foundation of our faith. We love the Word of God here at the, at, listen, at, at Brentwood Baptist Church. That's why we're going through the study of the chronological Bible. You see, the foundation for what we do is the Word of God. We don't change it. We don't dilute it. We don't try to make it fit the culture. It may not be palatable to some of our taste. It may not be some things you may agree on or, or, or others may agree on. It doesn't change the fact that it is the truth for all times. We don't change it to fit this culture. We let the word of God be the mirror that change us on the inside. Are you with me? So we begin by the declaration of the word of God because it's through his word by his Holy Spirit that he draws our neighbors to himself. The word of God. Again, it may not be good to your, you may not like what it says, but it's good for you. Now, if you decide, Fadi, what is it that you like to eat? I'm going to tell you so you can get ready. <clears throat> so here it is. Write this down. These are things that I'd like for you to buy me. Are you ready? Here it is. I, I like ice cream late at night watching a soccer game. Can I get a witness in here? So when I go home, I'm tired and wore out. I turn the TV on. There's a soccer game. Brazil is playing. I'm cheering. And we are cheering for teams. Roger and I call him about 3 in the morning. We're, I'm just kidding. Are y'all Okay. Ice cream. Here's something else that I like. Coconut cake. Can I get a witness on that one? So here it is. So Fadi, what would you like? You know, what is there some things that you like? Ice cream, coconut, coconut cake, dessert, chest pie. Chest pie with some coconut. Can you? Biscuits and gravy early. Are y'all okay? Anybody hungry in here? Are you? <laughs> so, so, but, but are these things good for you? Or may not be as good as you think, right? But that's your choice. And that's how people look at the word of God. I like this part. Don't like this part. I like this part. Don't like this part. Well, it's not your choice. Amen. Some of you like Brussels sprouts. What is wrong with you? Brussels sprouts. You know, you know that it doesn't taste good. Because you go and caramelize some, some syrup on you, put it on top of it. And then what you do, you spend an hour trying to make it crispy to eat something you don't like. Because you think it tastes good, but it doesn't. You eat it because you know it's good for you, right? And, and, and proclaiming the whole counsel of God is good for us. Amen? It is what draws people. The first assignment of the church is the declaration of the word of God. And, and what happens is that disciples will be, will be made. Salvation will come to the households of the people that live all around the church at Woodbine. And then the scripture becomes the foundation for their convictions and for their belief. Let me give you the second assignment of the house of the living God. And I love this. We not only are called to make disciples, we are called by the declaration of the message. We're also called to ministry. And our ministry is to mature believers. Okay. So the second assignment of the church is maturing believers. It's to mature believers. Now, remember when I said when we first started that, that we have here the foundational elements for how the church will begin to grow individually and collectively as the body of Christ. And we have these foundational elements right up here. They're mentioned again in John 17, Ephesians 4. But let me show them 
to you as the Lord gave them to us. Listen to the Great Commission. Someone said, a commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment will build the Great Church. True. True. Because it's what the Lord gave us. So let me show you this. Personal elements and corporate elements that grows and matures believers. In Mark chapter 12. We're going to go to Mark chapter 12. And we're going to look together at verses 28 through 31. Mark chapter 12, 28 through 31. And then we'll go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Here's what the Lord Jesus gave us. We're going to read together. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. The Lord is speaking. Now, he's been teaching, and one of the scribes came to him, and they said, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Right? He says, teacher, what is the, the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, I can summarize all the commandments that you have heard, that you're about to hear, and you will hear in few simple sentences. And Jesus gives us the foundational elements for the maturity of believers and also for the maturity of the church. Are you ready? Here they are. Jesus answered, the most important is listen. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. Now listen again. Love, here's the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. So that's the first commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourselves. There is no other command greater than these. So the first two commandments are given to us for the maturity of the believer and the maturity of the church. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, or your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Now let's see what Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And I want us to look at that. Look at that. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 28, 18, 20. You know that as the great commission. Remember, the great commandment, the great commission. A great commitment to the great commandment, the great commission will build a great church, Rick Warren said. So watch this. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. Now go therefore, here it is, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go make disciples. Teach disciples. Baptize the disciples. So when you put the great commandment. At the Great Commission, you'll find that in the book of Acts chapter 2, we have all these things embodied in Ephesians embodied. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, I am teaching my, my, my followers to do as such. But here's what Jesus gave us, five things in these two, the Great Commandment, the Great Commission. First of all, he said, every believer, in order that they may mature, every church, in order that they may mature, they must become worshipers of God. Worshippers of the true God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Now, we think of worship oftentimes as a set of music. Music is part of worship, but it's not all worship. See, learning the Word of God to make disciples is part of worship. Learning to serve and minister is part of worship. Learning to give is part of worship. Learning to share is part of worship. Worship is a lot more than music. Worship is our commitment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And we do all of it for one purpose, for the glory of God Almighty. The Bible says in John chapter 4, God is, watch this now, is seeking worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. 
For me to mature individually and revival to begin in me, that I may become contagious so the one sitting next to me to my left or to my right or my neighbor is more my my co-labor and worker, I need to become a worshiper in every element of my life. Are y'all all right? So we become worshipers. That's the first element of maturity. The second element of our maturity is we become ministers. Ministers. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind and soul and strength. And what, what did he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I love that terminology. Every servant is a minister and every minister is a servant. Every servant is a minister. Every minister is what? A servant. We're all called to ministry. We're called to ministry toward unbelievers by serving our neighbors. We're called to ministry by fellowshipping with those that are believers and have become part of the family of God. That's ministry. Ministry has two folds to it, to the body of Christ and to the body outside of Christ. Okay, That's ministry. That's what we do. We serve the needs of the people around us. And we begin in our Jerusalem, those that are around us, and then our Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. What do we do? We go out to our neighbors. We go out to the nations around us, to the people around us, people of every color, every race, every tribe, every nation, and we try to become Jesus Christ. Love your neighbor as you do love yourself. And we become what God has called us to do. We become ministers by serving the needs of those around us. And then what do we do? We not only do that, we're worshipers, we're ministers. And number three, we become evangelists. He said, I want you to go and make disciples. Who's saying that? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. What is God calling you to do? Is to become one who declare the gospel message and to invite people to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. I'm going to tell you. My theme for life, and I've learned it from another pastor who I was trained under. When I gave my life to Jesus, I, I thought, Lord, how, use me, use me. And, and, and I heard a minister one time make a statement. I took it as a, as my theme for life. I want to take as many people to heaven with me. Are y'all okay? I want to take as many people to heaven with me. Does it mean I'm going to have to assume a position of an evangelist? Now, let me tell you, evangelism is one of the most misunderstood gifts. It's not just preaching and inviting and walking away. Evangelism is where you walk a journey with the one that you're sharing the gospel with, responds to you, and you disciple them. Go make disciples, followers, people that are committed to the gospel, right? So I worship with the people that I'm witnessing to. I serve and minister with believers in the house and those that are outside the house of God. And then I become an evangelist. I, I am a, I'm a storyteller. I tell the story that have changed my life. You see, evangelism is not the heart. Evangelism, evangelism is the telling of the story that have changed your history. Amen. And that's what happens. We go out and we share the gospel. So we are worshipers, and then we are ministers, and then we're evangelists. Number four, we are discipleship makers. In other words, what we do, we take people into the fold, and we begin to teach them the doctrines of the Word of God. And then number five, we are intercessors, prayer warriors. God has called us to pray. They gather together to pray. 
You see, prayer is something not, it's not something we do. Prayer is something that we live. Uh, we live in, in the prayer mode, in the car, everywhere we go. We live to pray. We get together, you know, and we, we, we come shoulder to shoulder with people that we pray with. Uh, prayer is not asking God to give us what we need or prayer is not just coming to the Lord with our list. Prayer is conforming our lives to the will of God. Can I say it again? A life of prayer is a life that is conformed to the will of God. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take time in the next few weeks, and as the body of Christ at the church at Woodbine, we're going to pray. Now, we're not going to just pray, God, give us a pastor. We're not going to just pray, God, give us a plan. We're going to say, God, we want to be conformed to your will and your plan for the church at Woodbine, but above all, for your will and your plan for our lives. We're wanting our lives to be conformed to what you're planning to do. Watch this now for, for the generations to come. So when we begin to mature, we mature when we become worshipers, when we become ministers, when we become evangelists, when we become people who grow disciples. That's why we promote groups. And the life groups that comes in, they're life groups because they do what? They they give what? They give life. <laughs> Are you with me, somebody? It means that we sit and we share our burdens and we receive healing and we encourage one another. And we grow together. They're called life groups. And that's why people grow. And that's what God took. And there's 3,000 people that had to come together. So the journey of maturity is not complicated. Let me summarize it this way. God has given us the first assignment as the church at Woodbine to make disciples. Can I get a witness? Amen. Number two, God is calling the church at Woodbine to mature believers. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's our commitment. So let me tell you what the journey of maturity looked like. It's moving people. It's moving people from the community to the congregation, to commitment, to the call, to being commissioned and sent. Can I say it again? It's moving your neighbor from the community to the congregation to, uh, to commitment to be here with us and walk this journey with us to, to discover their calling. And then once they do to yield their life, to be commissioned, to be sent. Let me put it this way. It's moving people from non-believers to becoming believers to ministry to maturity. Listen, to maturity, and then eventually to be sent with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. It's moving people from being non-believers to becoming believers to maturity, to ministry, with, listen, to ministry growing in Christ, and then ministry with Christ. That's the journey of maturity. Can I get an amen on that? Amen? So we at the church at Woodbine are called to make disciples. Say it with me. We are called to make disciples. Number two, we are called to mature believers. Can I, can you say it with me? We're called to mature believers. And the last thing I want to share with you, we at the church at Woodbine were called to multiply ministries. Multiply ministries. So listen carefully. If the making disciples is done through the message, the declaration of the message, if maturing believers is the call for ministry for us, and Jesus gave us that. Number three, I want you to understand that multiplying ministries in our own community and beyond 
is our mission. That's our mission. is to multiply our ministries toward our community. Now, I love that. In other words, I've got to see my neighbors. I've got to understand who they are. I've got to understand what they're experiencing. And I've got to be able to adjust with the Holy Spirit to understand what's happening next door and here and there and everywhere. We start in our own Jerusalem. Acts 1.8 basically said, I want you to go to your own Jerusalem first, and then Judea, then Samaria, and the end of the earth. That's not hard, folks. That's not long. That doesn't take much time. But it takes focus. It takes purpose. It takes love, and it takes care. We're multiplying ministries. We're multiplying ministries. And what would be the results? And I'll come back to that in just a moment. Is the advancement of the gospel locally and globally. When we multiply ministries, people will feel love. They want to belong. Remember, they're moving from being unbelievers to believers to maturity to ministry. So we'll see church growth. And not only that, we'll see people maturing to understand their calling. And then we'll see the body of Christ activated to fulfill what God's called us to do. It's the multiplying of ministries. I remember when we started ministering, uh, Lindy and I, in Northwest Tennessee, and uh, I was pastoring a church in Northwest Tennessee, and, and I noticed that all of our campuses, all of our campuses, you've done this, you've done this, and that is, that is you, you, what we do is we, we give attention to our community, and we discover the needs, and we just begin to love them like Jesus would have been here to love them. You've done that in a wonderful way, and we're going to do it again. You've done it. You've done it. God is pleased with you. God loves you. God is excited to to build with you. And the God of heaven will help us. You've done it. You've done a great job. The fact that souls were saved. You've done it. The fact that people were baptized, you've done it. The fact that people felt loved. I was in our prayer time uh, when we met in the chapel to pray. And when we got to that prayer segment, I heard a young man. I was looking for his face. I heard a young man as we began to pray. I think he mentioned that he's been here for about seven years. And and he thanked God for the growth that he's experienced while he was here at church at Woodbine. Uh, Folks, come up here. You've done it. You've done a wonderful job. You, I've watched ministers serve your community, and I've watched ministers come out from here to touch the nations locally and regionally and globally. You've done it. And God is saying to all of us, I'm pleased with you, and I want you to do it again. Amen? So we're called to go on mission with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we were ministering there. And, and Lindy and I have never been trained to pastor. We've, uh, I've never been trained to, to be a pastor. My wife was in charge of the children's ministry. And, and she was helping with the family ministries. And, and I was supposed to be this good guy, a gifted guy with a lot of strategy in his brain. And I'm the pastor. I'm a good knight. I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm supposed to be the CEO, supposed to figure it all out. And I sat before God. And, and I remember one time we finished preaching, the church is moving. And I am I'm basically wore out. I sat down and I, and I, I sat down and, and I was listening and my, my routine was I finished preaching. I go home. I listened to Dr. Edwin Rogers and then Dr. Charles Stanley and then I'd listen to Dr. Jeremiah and take a nap. And I sat down. I kid you not. My, my, my collar was wet. I'd been preaching our two services in the morning. I've got another service at night and I'm sitting down. And I'm just flat wore out. <laughs> And a preacher came on, and I thought, well, listen to this guy. I've never heard him before, and here's what he said. If you're sitting there, pastors, if you're sitting there, and you're tired and wore out, something is wrong. 
that the church is growing and I thought something is right. He said, you're trying to do it on your own. Rest with God. Let God teach you how to reach the people around you. And I began to pray the simple prayer. God, give me eyes for the people around me so I can see them. Give me heart to feel what they need so I can serve them. And give me the energy to be able to walk with you so you could do what you need to do for your glory in their lives. And I can just rejoice with them. God is calling us to mission. So three things God gives us as an assignment. And I'm closing. God has called the church at Brentwood Baptist Church, the church at Woodbine, to make disciples. God has called us to mature believers. And God has called us to multiply ministries. And guess what, folks? If we can just trust him, if we can just walk with him, if we can just say, God, thank you for our history yesterday, for the joy of being chosen. Thank you for our day today, for the joy of worshiping you. And Lord, thank you for our days tomorrow, for the joy of walking with you. Behold, I do a new thing. And God, we're going to trust you to walk this journey because you have a perfect will and plan. And God promised to the church at Philippi, whatever I've started, I will complete it. Amen.